I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. Welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for independent restaurant owners in the country, maybe the world, possibly the world. I don't speak every language, so maybe there's maybe there's another one that's really good in like Portuguese. I don't know, but I'm going to take the title until somebody takes it away. Number one podcast for independent restaurant owners in the universe. Um. How you guys doing? What's the latest? I am, uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm recording this podcast and I'm going to the beach. I said it. Going to the beach. Uh, it's a Friday. The weekend looks like absolute shitty weather. And I'm just not willing to sacrifice uh, the time. Or, or, or I am sacrificing the time. I don't know. You get the point. I'm not going to work today after I record this podcast because summer's going to end. It's going to be fall. It's going to be winter soon. And I don't want to, I don't want to think about it, but that's what's going to happen. So uh, there's no stopping that unless we, you know, do that snowbird thing or move to Florida, which doesn't look like it's happening this year, unfortunately. Um, but speaking of seasonality, see that segue? I wasn't even, pl- I wasn't even planning that. I wasn't even planning that. I have uh James Malios, the owner of the Sveta Hospitality Group. Um, he's got a, a restaurant out on Long Island. He's got a couple of restaurants in the city. But he opened multiple concepts. I said three. He calls it two and a half. During the pandemic. Um, so it was possible, right? Could be done. Um, he's been around for a while. He understands the business. He's a real New Yorker. Long Island going on there. I respect that. So check him out. James Malios, owner of the Savetta Hospitality Group. You guys know how important I feel vibe is to your restaurant or your bar. It's everything. And just to give you an example, have you ever noticed how the energy of of your restaurant or your bar totally changes when there's something on your TV that's not engaging like sports? I have a solution for you. Atmosphere TV is the first and only TV product of their kind built specifically for use in your restaurant. You may recognize their flagship channel, Chive TV, in addition to 40-plus other amazing high-definition content channels, including Red Bull TV, X Games TV, Beach Bum TV, America's Funniest Home Videos, and much, much more. Built and proven to keep your guests sitting, eating, drinking, and of course, spending more money. The best part is Atmosphere remains 100% free for listeners of this podcast. Just use the code KYLE at checkout to have your setup fee waived and receive your device today. That's atmosphere.tv and use the code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, to receive your free device today. As a restaurant owner in 2021, I'm sure you can appreciate the convenience of restaurant technology and beautifully designed websites, but maybe you don't know where to turn. Well, I can tell you this. Look no further. I got your answer right here. Bento Box. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships 
directly through their custom-designed websites. With BentoBox, you'll get a digitally accessible website that conforms to ADA guidelines and has SEO best practices built right in. They also provide e-commerce tools that drive high margin revenue by allowing your restaurant to grow loyalty by selling gift cards, merchandise, and events tickets 24 hours a day. Plus, you'll be able to own your guest relationship, making it easy to send messages, view data, and manage your orders all in one place. How good does that sound? Right? All in one place. Bendobox provides a full-service setup that brings agency-level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. Their best-in-class support team is available seven days a week for personalized support and industry expertise. And just because you're a listener of the show, you can receive 50% off your setup fees as well by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the How Did You Hear About Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6, Bento Box. Own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. All right, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owner Podcast. I have with me James Malios from Savetta Hospitality. James, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. We're uh, uh, thrilled to be on the podcast. Or I'm I thrilled. I'm not the I'm not the Queen of England, so I'm I'm thrilled. <laughs> collectively, <laughs> for me too. We're all we're all thrilled. Um, you just yeah, I, have enough, I have enough committees up here, though. If you want to use we, you can. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not that not far from accurate. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Um, so we were talking before before we got on here. You guys have opened up three new concepts during the pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah, I think one of them would probably be more justifiable. Like a, as a half, we did a market for residents in a high-end building where uh, where Juniper now uh, is going to open next week, or this week, I should say. And uh, we opened Bar Marseille in October 2020. Uh, certainly not by <laughs> not by design, but uh, <laughs> if you ever if you're ever interested in opening a, a, a something that has bar in the title, uh, that's <laughs> Uh, two blo- two blocks from the beach uh, in a seasonal location uh, and opening that in the winter of a pandemic, uh, you should call me. I will have some <laughs> some strong. <laughs> You've got an experience in that. Yes, it's a very small niche consulting uh, <laughs> uh, expertise, but you know we're we're confident that we've got another maybe another three weeks of window where we can really leverage it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Totally captured that audience. Pretty, pretty. You, you got that one on lock. Um, so yeah, I mean the. I mean, well, yeah. let's start there. So Bar Marseille is in the Rockaways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, lock on there. That's it. Yes. Lock on really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a great. You know, look, I grew up in Queens, and I love that. Uh, I love that the neighbor the neighborhood looks a lot like New York City to me. You know, I mm-hmm. love that. Uh, it's it's not some it's not some some fake diversity, some, some B, some BS, uh, you know, jargon diversity. It's really like a good, a great little, uh, snapshot. It's almost like a great nightclub, uh, the neighborhood. It's got a little bit of everything. So, uh, you know, I love the neighborhood, grew up in Queens myself and, uh, very excited to be there. Nice. So in addition to what's going on there in the other three concepts, one of the things that we always like to start with is how you even got started. So I may put a little cart before the horse here, but how did you get started here in, in this business to begin with? What was your first job in the restaurant industry? Uh, so I, uh, 
uh, probably the only Greek kid in Queens who grew up in Queens. His father didn't own uh, a restaurant, uh, or at least in my in my parochial school, I was the only one where my dad paid taxes, uh, or you know, <laughs> the amount of taxes he was supposed to pay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, my people might have a little loose understanding of the word. Uh, so uh, maybe that gave me some deep-seated insecurities, some Freudian type of shit. I have no idea. But I was practicing law, and a friend of mine was working uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, of all places, for a real estate developer. And he was opening a restaurant. He said, uh, do you want to come down and help me out? Because I just left the job. Uh, and I said, sure. I'm like, I'm not like really doing anything right now, so... Like I'll come <laughs> down for like three months or whatever, and yeah. it was like the Gilligan Island. It was like the Gilligan's Island three-hour tour. So uh, and then I never went back to being a lawyer. And uh, he went back to he went back to actually uh, he left the restaurant business now. Well, that's not true actually. He's now the uh, a senior guy at Lowe's Hotels. So uh, so it was really by accident, and I just but I really loved it. And once I started doing it, I didn't think there was anything else I could do. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like always that first, that first, what well, most curious because that first thing that grabs a hold of somebody. I mean, was it the energy? Was it the food? Was it, the, I mean, it definitely wasn't the pay in the hours. So, what, what, what was it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you ever, um, uh, you ever, I don't know if you're ever a smoker. I, I was, you can probably tell by my voice. Um, we used to do what we used to call cigarette math, where like you took, the amount of money you spent on cigarettes and like, you know, how much money you oh, wasted. Yeah. So one time I, I started doing what I call lawyer math. So I went back to the, the, the salary I was making as like a fifth year associate in New York city. Uh, I started amortizing it over the next like 15 years. Very, yeah. very depressing, very depressing <laughs> number. Um, <laughs> I, I actually stopped like after like three years, I was like, I don't need to do this to myself anymore, um, yeah. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, all. I, I, it sounds like a Pollyanna or a compound answer, but you know, all of it grabbed me. But I think what grabbed me the most was that uh, I think it's the type of job and industry where you have to be a generalist, right? You have to know yes. a little bit about everything, and you can kind of keep learning more and more about different areas. Like you know, you can't suck at marketing. Like, you know, if you're like a banker, you can be great at banking and that's what you're, you're good at. Um, but in the restaurant business, you know, if the, if in the world of like business school, I'm not counting like derivatives or like other, you know, strange sort of like, you know, more ethereal financial concepts. Like you have to know something about marketing. You have to know something about operations. You have to know something about, you know, goods, transport and services, goods and transport, right? You have to know about invoicing. You have to know about uh, HR. You have to know, I mean, there's, it really touched this. There's no facet of business that you don't touch. And because of that, and because of those, in a sense, the limitless knowledge you can acquire in each, you know, one of the businesses, each one of the disciplines that exists within business. I think for people who like to challenge themselves or learn, uh, it, it's the only business like it that I can think of uh, yeah. in terms of challenging yourself. I know. Uh, I always say plus that. It, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there, there is so much going on and you're, you're right. A lot of those facets you got to touch on. I always say for me, it was, I definitely had attention deficit disorder 
And when I went into my first restaurant I ever worked in was in Jericho. Maybe you remember the place. It was called the Long Island Brewing Company on Jericho Turnpike. Oh. It was like I was a, a glass boy. That was the official uh, on. Uh, I, I think I would have needed a lawyer for that job title. But um, and I just, it was just like the energy, like the energy in the place. And like, hey, go do that. Yeah. Go do this. That That's hot. That's cold. That's wet. That's sparkly. It was like, wow, this place is. Keeping me going here. It was definitely better than you know, being a camp counselor. I remember that. Uh, having spent a good amount of time on the on the on a psychiatrist's couch, in fact, I remember the first time I went in. Uh, <laughs> I should go to, uh, when I was a kid. I'm I'm sadly old enough that they didn't have that diagnosis really when I was a kid. Uh, you know, so uh, I remember when I first uh, uh, got diagnosed with a similar sort of thing. Uh, I. After about five minutes, the shrink started like writing on his pad, and I was like, "But I haven't even finished yet." He's like, "Oh no, don't worry about it." <laughs> I've yeah, seen this before. He's like, "I'm right." <laughs> He's like, "I've ran this prescription as we speak." So, no, I, I agree. I think that one of the things actually that I hated about the law is that there was no when I see about business, like you're you're you have service, and there's like a beginning and an end, right? It's like this. Other than it being like a, a trader on a trading yeah. floor, there's no other job that I can think of, or maybe you know, entertainment. Like concerts yeah. and stuff where you're like okay you know we're prepping here's the here's the start here's the finish yeah i'm going to bed wake up you know so i, I agree i think i think it, it does um uh, for people who have our uh superpower or super malady uh depending on how you look at it uh yeah. it's a it's a it's a uh it's a business that that lends itself to it yeah you know i i, I mean for me i always thought of it as i played a lot of sports growing up through college it reminded me the most i worked in the kitchen initially and it was like, okay, prepping practice for the game. And then the game was over. It was like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, done. That was that. Oh, I love of- your t shirt. Oh, thank you. What, what yeah, does your t shirt say? What, yeah, what does it say below Q tip? Nice. Yeah. So, um, so, I, I, so I can't I can't formally say this, but there's a good chance that one of those people is DJing at uh, Calissa this summer. So I'll make sure to let you know. Oh, please do. So I'm from Long Island. I, my parents live on the East End. I live in Westchester now. I'm very familiar with that spot. Tell me how you guys kind of are able to were able to make it happen here through the pandemic. <laughs> um, that's you know, I, people ask me that a lot, and um, uh, sometimes they'll come in and they'll they'll we have a lot of outdoor space there. And yeah. A lot of times people say, "Oh, like you have a lot of outdoor space." That's why I'm like, "Well, like that's that, that's one of the." One of the reasons, and the, and the Greeks have an expression. They say uh, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's uh, fasulaki, fasulaki, imizi to sakulaki. It means uh, bean by bean, you fill the bag. So I, I don't. It was definitely. I can give you the highlights of of things. You know, look, the outdoor seating helped, of course, yep. right? You know, um, uh, we our decision to open up in March and do delivery, which on the East End there was almost no delivery. Yeah, but, you know, you know this. You can barely get a fucking pizza delivered um so our decision to do delivery i think really because i think that space which which you called out for a long time had a you know and to some extent deserved uh reputation as either just a nightlife place masquerading as a restaurant or a place that just constantly turned over Mm -hmm. so i i actually think the biggest uh change was when we opened for delivery when no one else was open and everyone else was closed the community looked at us and said, oh, wow, maybe these guys aren't a bunch of fucking assholes. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and we were charging like very reasonable prices. Like I would say even like, you know, lower than Manhattan or, you know, frankly, like Queens prices. 
Uh, yeah. And part of that was because we we felt like, you know, this isn't really the moment to be charging Hampton's prices. Yeah. Like, let's let's charge something that feels right. Like, in like a Jericho, like, let's charge yeah. like a middle island price. You know what I'm saying? And um, so... Uh, so I think I I think that was actually one of the biggest things, and then you know, and then some of it was dumb luck. Like for for example, by with the pandemic, by forcing us to remove some tables, we uh, we found that we were giving better service to the to less tables. But you, yeah. you know, very, very few rush very few restaurant owners will you know on their own volition <laughs> pull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like never. <laughs> Never, but like you have a great haircut if you don't mind me saying so. I'm just bummed out that you're much thinner than I, I am because of the juxtaposition. I'll sit back. I don't know. You want me to go forward, backwards? There we go. Leave <laughs> <laughs> it out. Yeah, I was admiring yours as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, so I think, uh, you know, and there's probably five other things that I could throw in that, yeah. uh, that set of examples that, that helped, but those are the highlights and the outside help. Oh, the other thing I would say is that. We, when we got our EIDL money and our PPP money, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people like just like Scrooge McDuck it and like fucking threw it in a, you know, threw it in a, threw it in a bank and was like waiting. And we were like, screw that. You know, we, we aggressively spent it. Like, we went after talent for, for labor. We expanded, made the outside much nicer. And our theory was that, well, if dining isn't coming back, then we're just fucked. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, but if it is coming back, you know what I mean? If it is coming back, we want to give people a reason to come here versus right. somewhere else. So we, we like immediately just poured all the money we got. Like we, 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 we redid the kitchen, you know, so it was more efficient, like things that we maybe wouldn't have done, you know, if there was, yeah. if there was no pandemic, like, you know, you know, it takes to rip out a kitchen line. Like we ripped out the whole kitchen line and reorganized it. You know, because I was actually one day because I was because I was running because when we were doing takeout, we only had like five, four or five. Guys. I was like, um, our chef actually had gotten I had gotten COVID, like OG COVID, like in March. So then I came back. Then then our chef, like you know, uh, about a week or two later, um, got it. Um, uh, I I hope not for me, but um, at that time it was you know early March. Like no, it was still that moment where yeah. like no one really knew what was kind of going on. So I remember I was cooking, I was cooking on, on the line for takeout for like the first week or two or April because my partners, one of them was in California, one was in lockdown in Westchester. So I was cooking on the line and all of a sudden I was like, dude, this makes no sense. Like I have to go all the way over here to get that. Yeah. And I have to go all the way over here to get that. Yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. We got to like rip all this stuff out. It doesn't make, like, doesn't make any sense the way we had it organized, you know? Uh, so, but you can, you can get that from being a cook. I mean, you know, I'm yeah, sure you've seen that before where it's good to get Yeah. That's major. That's, that's like, you know, the, the muscle memory and the efficiencies of that are, are everything. And it's particularly when you're going to be like a busy spot when traditional stuff comes back down. If you if you have to run anywhere, yeah, you got a problem there. But let me, let me ask you on the, in regards to that space. I mean, yeah, there, that space had been known predominantly for like nightlife stuff. There has been a lot of turnover there. How long have you guys been there? What was the house? <laughs> I think it's always been the locals like a question mark. Like, what's the why is there always so much turnover here? What was the allure for you if you if you guys kind of had that same kind of thought process looking at it? So we have a general rule that we don't like do straight leases. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we either like in the restaurants we either have either there's an ownership stake in the property or it's a management agreement or there's what I'll call less than an arm's length uh, transaction. 
So mm-hmm. in this situation, we, we, one of our investors knew the, the landlords from growing up. They went back like 20 years. Um, and we crafted a, you know, a structure that gave them incentive for our success, you know, gave us some incentive yep. maybe one day with you know, the success of the business. And I also felt like, you know, when I saw the property, I remember thinking like, there's so much that can be done here. And these guys have obviously just run it into the fucking like run it into yeah. the fucking ground for the yeah. past like, I mean it was it was a fucking mess. I mean I knew it was bad, but like when I got in there, I was like, wow, this is really yeah. bad. Like, and for people, <laughs> don't, and people, don't, people who don't know it is that it, it was basically, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Guys would take it for the yep. season, drill it for the season, and then they'd be gone, and there was no maintenance, there's no yeah. nothing, just yeah, yeah. No, the septics were ruined when we got there. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I would, I, how would you ever know that the septic was, yeah. you know, yeah. ruined before signing the lease? I mean, the guys hadn't treated the septic in like four years or something, you know, yeah. like it was, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And then, you know, there were other things like some guy, like, you know, some meth dealing guy lived upstairs. Oh, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, it was, it was just was. really. Yeah, why not? Yeah. It was, yeah it, was, it, was, it was actually, that was probably one of the, one of the one of the sorry, I'm actually filling out a health department uh, permit. The um, well, that's actually well, actually that's one of my more favorite memories about that because I I come in for construction. The guy had been there forever, and everyone's like, oh yeah, he, he's like with the place. He's like you know really. Uh, so I come at seven in the morning to meet the construction crew at, at seven a.m., and I see like ten people file out from under from the apartments upstairs, and uh, uh, and I smell this. I mean, I've never smelled anything like that before in my life. Thank God. So I come up and I'm like, I'm not gonna use his name. I'll call him Stan. I'm like, you know, Stan, like, I'm like, what, the, what, what the fuck is, what the fuck is going on? And um, and Stan is like, uh, oh, he's like, we're just, we were just, uh, you know, we we're smoking weed. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay. First of all, I'm like, I know what weed smells like, and that's yeah. not weed. Yeah. Secondly, no, nobody smokes weed till seven in the morning. It's like not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I'm like, look, man. I'm like, whatever happened here before, we're not doing this. Like, this is not the way this is going to go while I'm here. So he's like, no, no, I get it. He's like, oh, nothing will happen. And then, so the next Friday, I come back. It's the same. It's the same thing. And um, uh, uh. And it's the same thing. And so basically I come back and I say to him, uh, I see the same people come out and I say to him like, dude, you got to go like now. And he's, and he goes, this is why this place has a bad reputation. Like you're obviously dealing up here. You're obviously cooking. Whatever not you're helping. Doing. Yeah. And not, not helping the situation. And he, and he says, um, and he goes, uh, <laughs> I remember he said, he goes, you can't, he goes, you can't evict me. That's illegal. I go, that's, that's true. I said, actually, I'm Laura. You're right. I said, so the other option, is so option one is you i will store your stuff you can come back at any time but you've got till four o'clock to leave then option two is i call the police right now and they're going to come here and i'm going to tell them <laughs> that i smell math and you yeah it's your your choice man but you're totally right it's up to you yeah so um so probably not the story you're expecting to hear on the podcast but no i love um, these I think stories, that man. They, they get these the seasonal play i used to work that's for like a- you know you know these stories right Oh my god, yeah! And I, I used to work in the the U.S. Virgin Islands for a hospitality group. All these, all of these seasonal kind of places, and the restaurant industry under that umbrella, there's always something. But the seasonal places seem to attract this element more than, than anything else. But so I mean, oh yeah, and they, and it's right, yeah, that's right. One more thing, and you know, like they get, like they, you're right, they just burn, they just drill it. Like we get mail there from from the previous tens, from people that like 
like the workman's comp board. You know what I mean? Like, so like how many people did you screw along the way yeah. <laughs> before you screwed workman's comp? Like they're the last guy you should be not paying. You know, yeah, exactly. you tax, tax guy after workman's comp. So anyway, that was, that was that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing. This industry, we'd have a whole separate show on, on the barriers to entry to get into this business being so low and, and what happens there. But one of the, one of the things that's yeah. really a challenge out there, and I know we touched on it earlier was is staffing. Like staffing out there is not so yep. easy, and I know we have a different take on that in regard. But how do you find how do you yep. find staffing in these seasonal places, particularly on the East End? So we, we always had that problem, and you know I think some, of, especially with the East End, because uh, you, you people are, or maybe they're an established restaurant, maybe they don't like it, maybe they want to change, right? But they're not inclined to jump on the new, you know, the new right. uh, the new restaurant. Cause they're like, I've seen your, I've seen your kind come and go. You're not going to be here in, yeah. you know, uh, in November. I may not like X restaurant, but I know they'll be here in November. All so right. what happened? So we, so last season we did something that we've, we kind of beta tested out the year before, but something we've wanted to do for, for forever. So when I was, uh, when I was a lawyer, I did employment uh, work mostly, uh, mostly in banking and, <clears throat> So when I got to the restaurant business, I saw the tip pool. I was like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. I was like, you have a huge disparity between two classes of employees. Um, you essentially have a union work set of rules with the tip pool. Like you can call whatever else you want. What yeah. is it? It's a union type of scenario. I'm like, and third, it's the only scenario I've ever seen where you can be in a place for 10 years and have seniority and merit and someone walks in and they're making the same money that you do. What, what other job is that? Yeah. No other job. No. Ever. No. Never. So, never. So, so when, when June of last year happened and we were opening, of course, uh, there was no naturalized U.S. citizen that was willing to work. Um, and so, like, really came to work where we wanted, who were willing to work were immigrants, like my parents. And uh, they had families. You know, that's what they were like. We have to work. And, and one of the other reasons I think some of the, them had to work is that it's uh, you'll appreciate this it's funny how the, the government's really shaky about people's immigration status when it comes to collecting the money but when it comes to giving it out then yeah. they have a very then yeah clear yeah crystal they know, clear you know exactly crystal <laughs> clear what's going on there so but so these so these, a lot of these guys had families and stuff and we're like how are we gonna get these we can't like ask guys to come out and work in a pandemic away from yeah. their families and tell them what ten dollars an hour, and maybe people come to dinner, and maybe they'll fucking tip you. Like, yeah, not gonna work. So, so we, so, so we put an eighteen percent admin fee on the check. Um, uh, not a service fee, not a grat. An admin fee it goes right to the revenue line, and we gave everyone a guaranteed wage with a guaranteed minimum uh, on top of it. So anywhere from it was anywhere from twenty to forty dollars an hour in the base rate for servers wow. and back waiters, et cetera. And so, like, let's say you're a captain, you get forty dollars an hour, and you get a guarantee of fifty uh, with tips. And if we, the tips didn't hit fifty, then we'd match up you know, out right. of the house. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we did that, and you know, now all of a sudden it's kind of a, a little bit of a game changer, right? Because everyone else is like, "Oh, come out, make ten dollars an hour, maybe you'll make money." We're like, "No, like we're paying you." Like you know, if you're going to work forty hours, like you know, minimum you're at sixteen hundred minimum. Yeah. Right. Not not counting any grad or anything else. So um, so the system worked, 
uh, worked actually super, really well. And it, it took out a lot of the things that we are very familiar with that are frustrating, like how do you schedule people, right? Like, you know how it is, if you're an equitable person about scheduling, you know you can't just give someone lunches all the time because yeah, they right. don't make any money, yeah. right? So all of a sudden we're like, okay, we'll just schedule people like another, like any other job for when they need to be there, what we need them to do, what their skill set is. Um, and we weren't worried about like, you know, the tip, you know, what the tips were, you know, if, if we, if we wanted to, if someone was full time, we could schedule Monday through Friday or Thursday, you know, or Thursday through Monday or whatever it was, we didn't have to worry about yeah. giving them the Friday, Saturday, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't so, important. yeah. It didn't matter. So, um, so we did the admin fee and, you know, what we wrote on the check was based on the chart. We wrote on the check and on the, the menu was basically that, um, we wrote, uh, we, you know, life is different. We pay everyone a living wage. Uh, no, there's an 18% admin fee in your check. No further gratuity is required or expected. If you feel that you just really want to do something, or I forgot how we phrased that part of it, just think of uh, how you would act it, how you would uh, sort of uh, leave a gratuity if you're in Europe or Latin America. Yeah. Um, and people understood it. And, and you know what? Not a fucking single person complained. And I've, if you grew up in the East End, you would know oh, there's yeah. no shortage. Oh, particularly not, yeah. particularly not in season, right? Because that's, I think, where a lot of oh, a yeah. lot of concepts have gone wrong. There is they kind of ignore the locals, the ones that get you through the fall and the winter, and with pricing. I was part of a restaurant out in Bridgehampton that did that, shunned away all the all the yeah. all the locals, and and yeah, when you do that, for sure, you're you're not going to be around long. But so, do you plan to? Well, quick question about the admin fee. The admin fee had to be put that way f to kind of get around payroll. I mean, I know that you can do it. People have pushed back on it before, but it's like a payroll thing, right? Yeah. So it's so here's the it's a bit of so this is where being a lawyer was helpful. Um, so you, you know, a, a gratuity you have to chop up in certain ways, right? You know, you can't. Right. We were also able to pay the kitchen more. Uh, we we took some of that money and kind of went to the kitchen and, and raised those wages. Yeah. Um, so, so you can't legally call something a service fee if it, if it doesn't go only to the servers. Right. Um, so that prevents us from doing that. And then an admin fee, you cannot chop it up like a gratuity. You can't like, you know, like you have the pool and you put all the money right. in the pool and you chop it up based on that stuff. You yeah. can't legally do that with the, with the administrative fee. So <clears throat> it does. It is a lot of work. It does, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it in New York right now, which is actually illegal. And we're doing it like publicly and like on the show and we're on New York one and CNBC where we're publicly, uh, you know, uh, violating the law, uh, uh, to do this in New York city, uh, where we've actually have, you know, uh, increase, even increased the rate of pay from what it was last, last summer. So we, you know, we're paying people anywhere from 20 to $55 an hour right, right. now in New York city with the, admin um, fee. With the admin fee, which yeah. which that's what allows us to do that, right? So basically, yeah. I mean, my theory was, like, you know, let's say Amali, um, <clears throat> Amali was Amali. You know, let's say pre-pandemic, Amali is anywhere from three and a half to four million dollars a year. So if you take out the gratuity, right, that's eight hundred grand, yeah. right? So if so, my theory was, if if we get if we're getting eight hundred grand in the in the bank, and I can't figure out how to pay people fairly, and and keep them and have them be psyched to be there and give them vacation and do all that shit. Well then, fuck me. I shouldn't be in business. I have the right, right to be in business. But if I can't, right. I can't figure that shit out. But I should be. But I should be able to figure it out because that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, 
like that's uh you know that's and so yeah so we've done it it's it's i know we're the only people doing it i know a lot of people think it's a little crazy because you know they're like why would you ever pay someone more if you can pay them ten dollars an hour yeah. uh to which i say to which i say are you are you having problems finding staff right now because i bet you are yeah um and are you having you know and it's a good way to keep staff it's a good way to retain staff but it's a good way to keep people that are serious you know what I mean? Like, I think serious servers, serious from the house people, they don't give a shit about like the highs and the lows. Like, yeah. they want to know. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, you you attract a better like type of colleague with this system. Yeah, and I think that it's it's a it's something that came out of this pandemic um, is that it really put a light on how never mind the difference between the front of the house and the back of the house, but overall. The, the pay system and, and the hourly rate, I get that whole thing is going to be an issue. And I, I want to talk to you about that, but it really brought out like, this is who, who, like, who's going to be five people don't want to come back to this job? Like, there's not, there's not a lot of things that you can be to, 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 you know, latch your, latch your hands onto here. So, how are you guys planning to implement something like this going forward? Or I, I know you said there's some legal issues, but how do you see this playing no. out? No, we, we're doing it right now. We're doing it in Mali and on every side of Manhattan. We're doing it in Bar Marseille. We're doing it at Juniper. We're doing it in the Hamptons. We're doing it at every restaurant. Um, you know, and I, look, uh, I want to say everything's easy. Like in Mali, our labor cost is way out of, you know, it's out of whack right now. But, yeah. but it is coming down every week, right? You know, and right. it's on the trajectory. It's on, yeah, it's on the trajectory that when we, when we hit a, the baseline that we're more familiar with, it should be in the right place, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and there's a little things you do to adapt to, like you have to start thinking like, Hey man, uh, you know, polishing is, can get very expensive when the guy's getting paid $55 an hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but what it also does is allows you to, you know, you know, the 80, 20 rule, like it allows you to say, there's no standing around, go fucking do that. Go do that. Like, yeah. you know, go fucking do the liquor room. Like I don't have to worry and sit there and be like, Oh, if I tell them to clean the bathroom, yeah. clean the fucking bathroom. Like, yeah. you know, I'll do the clock cleaning about them, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, just like there's no task that becomes illegal to ask right. because you're paying the wage. Yeah. And that's just another like job. Yeah. And you, you would run into that with servers all the time. Like, can you go check the bathrooms for stock that they're stocked or polished this or bring them the utensils up? And they're like, oh, you know, I, you know, I don't get They, they right. very, very, you know, the, the ones who are not career professionals are like, you know, they just want to wait tables and get tips. You know, and I, I think yep. that's from from an owner's perspective, that's an issue. You know, you're not caring it enough is. about your picture, right? Or, or like, if the kitchen's behind, man, and they need stuff, you know, they need herbs picked. Go pick the herbs. You know, yeah. kitchen, you can run food too. Yeah, you know, what I mean, there's it, it starts chipping away and breaking away at that barrier yeah. between front and back of the house, um, uh, and it, especially just by being able to raise the kitchen wages, even by ten percent. Fifteen yeah. percent. That's like real money, man. Like for the, for those guys, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. And, I, I, it's it's that we've gone so long in this industry with servers walking out with four hundred bucks for a night and a dishwasher is making four hundred dollars a week. You know, things yeah, like exactly. that. It's been it's been a real problem, and people always like, you know, the, that struggle between the front of the house and the back of the house. Yeah, it's, it's financial. <laughs> a lot of it's financial. They know what you're making, and then you're asking them like, you know, hey, I need glasses. I need glasses. I need glasses, and they're like, fuck you. Get your own glasses. And right. I, I think that's another thing that came out of this is like, you got to be able to work this job and do what you're asked for. Don't, don't, you can't be pigeonholing yourself into, no, I just wait tables. 
I just do this. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think that, and that disparity is only, only gets worse as because you know, what happens when you raise the wage in the front house, you raise prices, what happens, raise prices, tips are bigger, right? Like it's yeah. just, yeah, right. you, you're, it's, it's just like a, a, it's a model that is destined to break like on some, you know, level at some point. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that back of the house, front of the house division is one of the big, big things that we were able to address. And you uh, know, I'm, I'm not sure why, but I, I was told that we were not allowed to, so I was, I just sold my, um, my piece of my last restaurant that I had here in Westchester. And we were, we were, Trying to implement a plan where everybody got tipped. It's such a small place. It's a, a small taqueria, um, and right. everyone was like, "We got you know five hundred bucks for the night. We had five people working between front of the house and the back of the house. You've got a hundred bucks, so you can't do that." Yep. Not, not really. No. Yeah. Not safe. Not safely. Without immense liability. Um, yeah. yeah. No. It's a. It's. A, I. I. I got to tell you, I highly. It, it, it is a. It is not easy to implement, and it does take. You know, but I will tell you, like, even in, in, uh, like, we're opening uh, Juniper, we tell people, oh, we're paying, you know, servers like 30, 35, 40 an hour. They're like, you're doing what? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's, that's a job, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, but, but I also think even when you get to the disparity at that level, there's a precedent for it in the corporate world, right? Because if you go to, for example, I mean, the service are the sales force, right? And if you go to like a company, the sales force makes more than IT, like, or, you know, yeah, or right. operations. That's right. just right. It's just the way it is. Like you know, so uh, but it's easier to explain a disparity of you know uh, two to one, right? Or you know two and a half to one maybe when it's hey guys, no offense. Like you want to go into sales, man? You can go into sales and you can yeah up, like more money. But your operations that's that's your that's your yeah, division right. and just oper- operations makes less. Everything's yeah. way works everywhere else. Um, so it, that 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 helps also. Uh, you, you said you just sold. You just you said you just sold out of your uh, your your last place in Westchester. I did. Yeah, I'm out. Congratulations. I'm, free, I'm a free agent. Yeah, my, uh, I just you know with, with my you know I, I work in commercial real estate with with a lot of emerging concepts across the country, and you know at some point, I mean you know this, you can't you can't keep one eye on a restaurant. You got to be and you got to have any expectation of success. Yep. I, I, Got to that point. My partners were lifers. They wanted to continue to run it up. That, that's what the brand needs. You guys need to be there. I can't be there. So right, right, it's, right, right. Uh, of course. But no, it makes total sense. What are you doing, commercial? I mean, I think commercial real estate and restaurants are inextricably linked. But what are you doing, commercial real estate? So I'm, I'm a tenant rep. So I work with you know guys like yourself who have concepts and you're looking for new locations. Um, you know, brick and mortar traditionally pre. COVID, but, you know, management deals, any kind of, you know, unique um, mm-hmm. you know, unique opportunities for restaurant owners across the country. So if you said, hey, we want to be in Miami next season, sure. you know, that that's what we do. So we work across the country. You haven't heard anybody doing that move like that, have you? Uh, you know, or, or like uh, no. anywhere. But really like the idea would be if you wanted to take, you know, Kalisa, you know, we're really going to go all in on Kalisa. We want to build out a pipeline for the next five years when we start jamming that pipeline full of opportunities. And it's there's really a lot to it in terms of the technology we'll use and all that kind of stuff, but um, it's really about just finding the core demographic and, and targeting in on an area and making opportunities for yourself as opposed to just looking at signs and yeah, no, I, 
I think that that's a, uh, I should have, I was going to actually add that before when I said one of the challenges that I enjoyed about the restaurant business is that like thinking about your product vis-a-vis the demographic is an mm-hmm. amazingly uh, challenging and, and rewarding, you know, uh, thing. I mean, the, the clientele in uh, the East End is not the clientele in, Jer- in Jericho slash Roslyn slash Westbury is not the clientele on the Upper East Side is not, uh, you know, they may have similar levels of affluence, but they're not the same people and they they have different no. concerns. Yeah, that's what's interesting about the, what the, the technology we use, which actually is cell phone data, which tracks where people are. You know, so you're not seeing actual, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to name attached to it, but you're going to see this person has been in and out of this place how many times it creates a psychographic. So it's like your buying patterns, typically what kind of car this person has, how they choose to spend their free time, like that. And that's important to understand. I think that's what people just think, well, that's and they don't start to think like the accessibility. Like, oh, I want people from that town, but you can't make a left into my place from, from this spot coming that way. So they got to turn around. That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. So yeah, there's a lot to that that people often just, just ignore, but we try to eliminate that. Well, it's, yeah, I can think of a lot of examples in that vein, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, and even when then you just think about other markets, you know, you, you know a lot of these guys like, we would kill it in Miami. Oh, oh would you? Okay. Miami was yeah. a major international city before the pandemic. So don't just think, you know, it's it's not easy. There's a lot of things to take into consideration, the way that people in Miami travel to get to places, you know, or, or the way that the, the impact that the offices have or lack of offices in certain areas affect your lunch. And the type of food you serve it's 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 not as easy as people think as you know no I, no i think a, a great example is that at uh you know at calissa um you know when we saw the property we're like oh this is great because it's equidistant to so many places right it's equidistant to south sag bridge you know even yeah. arguably east but i did i was not a, i was not aware how entrenched the like i don't go this way you know, was for people in the East End, like people in South, like I do not go to East, or at least right. in the season, right? Or like that, like even with the village, like a lot of times we talk, oh, like, oh, but you're in South, you're in, you know, closest town to in Southampton, right? It's in the, the town of Southampton. Yeah. But uh, people in the village are like, well, but that's outside the village. I'm like, yeah. dude, it's like se- seven fucking minutes. You're kidding yeah. me. Right? It's like, like literally seven minutes drive. Like, right. you'll, how is that? How is that like a thing? But it is. Yeah. For them, for them, it is like you are not, you are not, you are not in the village. That's end of story. Yeah, you know, and that's um, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that. No, you wouldn't know that. And a lot of things. That's why locals' perspective is important. So when we go to markets, like you want to go to Nashville, I don't know Nashville, but I have a partner relationship down there, and he'll tell you things like that. Because in Nashville, it might it's totally normal to maybe you have to drive fifteen minutes to a restaurant. That's normal. That's what you do. You know, so, so things are can work a little bit different. So that's our goal. And really, I think what's cool out of, you know, what came for us out of the pandemic is particularly with my background, 20 years in the restaurant business is I can relate to guys like you. I'm like, he's not going to he's not going to like this because, you know, there's an issue with uh, where the grease trap is or the kitchen has a you know a fucked up layout. It's not laid out properly. He's not looking to invest that money and save you the time. So you're like, you know, those a lot of brokers will just throw sites at you. Hey, you want a 3000 square feet? Here's 3000 square feet in the Hamptons. They don't know that, you know, the kitchen yeah. being on the side is going to be a problem because the sun sets on the opposite side and then people can't see it, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. No, it's, uh, it, 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 definitely there are a lot of nightclub guys who approached us this year, you know, and like, oh, like we're going to come or like, you know, and I was like, I, you know, I kept saying, I'm like, okay, I'm like, you know, uh, so how are you going to do that? Like once I started asking the questions, 
the conversation would immediately break down or people would go, oh, this person's coming to the Hamptons, this person's coming to the Hamptons. I'm like, dude, there's a reason this place buries people. There is a yeah. reason that it buries people from New York and buries people a lot smarter than I am and a lot, you know, better financed. And, you know, so people are like, oh, are you worried that so-and-so's coming? I'm like, oh, man, I, I worry about my stuff. I don't care. Like, about, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> not only do I not, not only do I not, I mean, not that I don't care. Let me say, not only am I not, this is not something that enters my calculus. Anyone who comes to the Hamptons, for example, or even let's say we're coming to Westbury slash, you know, Roslyn slash that area. Um, and says, oh, I'm fun to see. I'm going to fucking beat up on these guys. Like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, man. Well, that's the thing. Like, we did, that, that big conversation early on was that there's going to be this mass exodus from the city to the suburbs. So places like you're talking about Long Island, Roslyn, Garden City, uh, Westchester County, Fairfield County, Greenwich. But I met with a lot of those guys. And they're like, well, we need to do, you know, 8 million here. I'm like, you're not going to do 8 million here. And what you need to know is that's okay. Like, you're going to do 3 yeah, million. Exactly. And you're gonna be, and your rent is gonna be a tenth of what it is in the city. Like you gotta figure this out, guys. So it was a lot of, uh, a lot of that stuff happens in this business, and it's it's interesting to see how exposed everybody became over the pandemic, right? So like, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that, but the reality is, I, I said it's kind of like in sports where you always gotta rely on your on the basics. Like if you're not doing the basics right, I don't care about where you're in the Hamptons, you're in you're in South Beach, you're in wherever you are. It's gonna you're gonna be exposed, and if one of those things was you know things like labor overspending, and then you really had your pants down, and then it was you know lights out. Uh, no, yeah, there was a, a I'm not gonna say where it was, but we got approached about a seasonal uh, situation uh, like the, the end of last fall, and um, partially because of Calissa, um, and uh, it was like January one, and I was like, dude, if we don't have a deal in place by January fifteenth, I'm like, I'm not doing this. And, and the person was like, well, oh, we have time, but I'm like, no, 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 I'm like, we have no time. I'm like, that's it. Like, this is yeah, January 15th is like, is like, like, I know, like I made those mistakes. Like I know what it's, you know, I know what I thought. I know what I did wrong under the best of circumstances. Um, so like you say, exposure and stuff. Like I hear these guys like, oh yeah, we're going to open uh, for Memorial Day. I'm like, <laughs> sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> sure you are. And by the way. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, here's a heads up. That's actually the holiday. If I could do one thing in reverse, I would have not opened for Labor for Memorial Day when we first opened. I would have opened like June one. I yeah. would skip that that weekend because you know June is always slower than people think. Yep. Out east, and I would I would have taken that June time, and I would have like you know ramped up versus yeah. like opening for Memorial opening for Memorial Day is like opening for Mother's Day. It's like the dumbest fucking yeah. Like, you're on <laughs> literally, it's like. It's it's the dumbest thing ever. I mean, but you don't think that way when you're not used to the seasonal operation. You just think, oh, I got to capture more of it. Yeah, well, that's the yeah. thing. Worried about capturing every dollar, they think it's going to go away. But I mean, out there, you obviously have seen some sort of the impact of these folks who've moved out there for, you know, they've been out here for a while. Do you think they're going to be there? Is this going to be a long term thing, or you think it's going to be like, you know, once the summer's over, everyone's going to be back to the city? Sure. Sure. So. Uh, I'll tell you this last Saturday, we did 350 covers um, at Calissa, and we could have probably done 550 if we had the space or open the book up that way, right? Um, I think that this will be the permanent change. I look, I, I, I you know, I, I, I remember 9 11 well. You know, I remember the you know financial crisis. I mean, we, we've all heard New York's epitaph, you mm -hmm. know, uh, been written many times. I never, look, I grew up in New York, maybe just out of sheer pride. I'm like, no fucking way. Um, you know, and I, I, I never believe that path. What I do think will be different 
Um, I think a lot of these people, frankly, are going to wake up and realize that uh, Miami is fucking miserable in July. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, I think there's going to be a slow, <laughs> there's going to be a, a buyer's remorse to a large degree. I think with the Hamptons, the biggest difference is that what I, what I, the two things I saw is first, you know, Airbnbs are not great for restaurants, you know, the Airbnb market, because when people rent long, long-term summer, that means that like people, you can grow a regular customer base. You know, right. Airbnbs are just like, there's no just chance to grow a right. customer base. The second thing is that I think what happened was that people from who had home, who lived, at least for people who lived in Manhattan, they stopped seeing the weekend drive to the Hamptons as to be such a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, so they're out there more frequently in the off season. They see like how nice it is, frankly, in the off season. Yeah. Um, so, which, which kind of sucks in some ways, but you know, whatever. Uh, you know, sometimes you want that. You kind of like who are these assholes? Uh, so, uh, but I think that um, by 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 making people more comfortable with being out east, or let's say if there's a more flexible work week and people find themselves in the Hamptons, I think you're going to see that they're going to be busier year round for sure. Yeah, I definitely think that will be true. I don't think it'll be as much as the last year, but I think I don't think that trend will go away. Or or if it goes away, it's not going to like turn off a faucet you know what i mean it will just right. you know the volume will, 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 will drop yeah i agree i mean even even for me my um my family's been still living and what do you see you're miami you're miami yeah i mean we, I, I, in regards to, to miami and start there um it's competitive it's the, the people who were there you know i didn't go down there and go to the new york restaurants to check on how they were doing but i can tell you from the tourist perspective you know visiting um it's a competitive market. Uh, yes, there were opportunities there uh, during a pandemic that people from outside markets should take advantage of, but it by no means is it a fix for your operation. You know, people are like, you know, screw this, I'm going to Miami. Okay, try to, you know, it's going to be the same problems there. There's no mat. It's going to be warmer, but then instead of your heat not working, it's going to be the air conditioner that craps out. Like, there's not, uh, instead of right. the, not, getting your people there because of the snow, it's going to be a hurricane. So don't think that it's like a fix-all. It's a great, beautiful market, and I love Miami, right. but by no means is it a, is it a, is it a fix for everybody. There's certain vibes that work there, and I'll say to some clients of mine, you should probably check this out. You know, We should probably wait it out, but maybe right now in the meantime, maybe we look at D.C. first. Maybe we look at Dallas first. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, you know, I, and, and I think Miami's a great example where, you, you know, people might, might think, oh, well, like, well, I know people in Palm Beach, or so let's say, by way of example, right? Or I have a client in Palm Beach. Well, that's not the Cuban community, right? It's not the high-end affluent Cuban community. It's not the high-end affluent other Hispanic communities that exist in Miami. And like, I have friends in those communities, and like, those are those are insular communities, man. Like, you have to like crack that oh, in the yeah. same way you want to crack the communities on the East End. Like, you know, those 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 those, those Cuban families and Cuban, uh, you. Know, uh, now the second and third generation immigrants who are like who are well settled into the fabric of that city, like you know, the, like they've got you know the, the, you have to go out and figure out how to acquire them. They're just not going to fucking walk in just because you're oh because you came from New York. I'm going to come. Don't fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean to be honest, that might be against you. I think at the end of the day, it's still going back to basics. Yeah. Like leading with hospitality, you know, a good product, being genuine, you know, all, all that, all that fun stuff, and then of course keeping everybody safe. You know the 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 basics still apply, um, but yeah, I think you know I think there are going to be there will be opportunities in Miami again because I think 
Um, it's just like a wait and see kind of phase, unless you have, you know, a home run kind of concept and you can make something work. But I don't think it's a fix. I think a lot of people think moving out of New York was going to be a fix for, for everything is totally not. But so now you promised to follow you, but you're, so you're sorry. You were going to say something about the East end before you wrap, before you go to the wrap up. Oh, um, you know, I think, the East, yeah, I think the East, say end, something about the East end. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the East end. I love the fact that it's, you know, to me, it's a very homey experience. I do love, you know, September and October out there. But I think that, you know, a lot of people used to have the same view for the Hamptons that they do for Miami now, which is like, oh, we're going to open up in the Hamptons this year. I can tell you, man, it's, it's, that's, it's tough out there. You know, I mean, it's a tough market. Just because the people are there is not going to be a fix for you. And I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, my basically my big rambling point here is good operators are going to find opportunities in any market at any time, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, and they'll wait out things and they won't jump on things. So I don't ever think being reactionary is a good move. Um, patience, yep. patience is going to pay off here, I think, for, for the smart operators. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, uh, the last thing I'll say there uh, is, that, I mean, that's why we went to Hamza in the first place that we had a restaurant on the Upper East Side. And I said, okay, like, you were dead in summer, right? So can we reallocate our yeah. labor? Can we reallocate some of our resources to capture some of that, in, you know, in the Hamptons? And that was the, you know, that was the thinking, but, you know, that was just one, uh, that, yeah. that alone doesn't cut it. No, you're right. Well, look, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. I'm, I'm really keen on seeing how this thing plays out with the potential uh, admin fees and how we're going to handle this whole increase in payroll. I think that's a, a legitimate workaround. And I, I think it's really smart of you guys to implement and, and kind of be the leader in this. Thanks. Well, yeah, I mean, they kind of do that in Miami a little bit. Um, I, I don't know how they treat it, but I think it's a little bit done there. Miami, and thanks for that acknowledgement. Hopefully we'll, uh, you know, um, that would be my fondest wish is that we change yeah. it. That'd be awesome, man. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. Now, if, if people are looking to work with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you this summer? Yeah, just uh, my uh, go to any of the websites. You know, Chavetta Hospitality is the sort of the, the landing board site. But if uh, my email is james at amalienyc.com, that's james at amalienyc.com. And just, man, email me. I'm not the Prince of Persia. <laughs> like, just, you know, email me and I'll, I'll, make, sure, I'll make sure that we. Um, uh, you know, my colleagues or partners get that you know interview going, and you know we love to hear from people. Well, I'll tell you, if it's fifty three dollars now, it'd be we a great. I will say to our, I'm probably the most surprised we have a. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of uh, my job and doing it. So. <laughs> yeah. All, All right, man. Thank Thanks, you so much. Kyle. I appreciate the time. It's really thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. I look forward to seeing you out there this summer. I'll talk to you, brother. Be good.